I confess I had sex with two 18-year-old men for my 40th birthday. This podcast is intended for those 18 and over. If that's not you, please check out scarletine.com and come back to this podcast when you are of age. Thank you for downloading the Bedpost Confessions podcast. Bedpost Confessions is an Austin, Texas-based monthly reading and performance series about sex, sensuality, and the steamy side of life. Between performances, we ask audience members to anonymously submit anything worthy of a confession, which is then read aloud by one of our producers. The performance you're about to hear by Monique Davio was recorded on January 13th, 2011. Monique read an excerpt from her novel, Angel in the Snow. Here is Monique. This is going to be a total change of tone from what you've heard uh, lately. My novel is about uh, an 18-year-old Catholic schoolgirl named Carol, uh, who was commanded by God to marry her dead friend's father. So by the time we get to this, chapter 18, she has married her dead friend's father, Philip, who is 44 and a bit of a, a strange bird. And this is their wedding night. Now imagine, if you will, the year's 1964. She is a devout Catholic girl. How much do you think she knows about what's about to happen to her? Well, <laughs> Cringe along with Carol. Philip and I said nothing to each other on our walk to room five of the Orleans Motel. The man I married looked different after he closed the door and slid the lock into place. He loosened his necktie, stepped out of his shoes, and held out his hand to me. Ready? I lay fully clothed dead center on the king-sized bed of room five in the Orleans Motel. I took a deep breath and said goodbye to all my thoughts of joining the sisterhood. It would never happen now that I was to submit myself in marriage. Some women made it sound like fun, but in Catholicism, there was all this talk of submission, as if I were allowing myself into harm's way solely for the amusement of some awful man. I was confused because Philip was neither awful nor selfish, and I wanted to please him. Yet this was the very act that St. Maria Goretti gave her life to avoid. How could, I, how could I not lie on that bed and think of St. Maria Goretti, whose chosen death was held up as an example to young girls as perfect Catholic womanhood? Here's what I did know. My stockings and panties were supposed to come off very soon and that I should just leave them lying in a heap on the floor, not fold them and put them nicely on a chair. <laughs> Philip would then look at my body and my chubby belly and my thighs and breasts and whatever else he wanted to see. I had never been naked before a man before or anyone except for the bathroom mirror, not even a doctor. The only time I ever even thought about my body was when it was sick vomiting, growing pimples and hairs, bleeding, cramping, and sweating. The idea of the female body as a vehicle of pleasure never, ever entered my mind. And yet, to hear Philip speak about what would be done to me that night in his very careful way, you would think that every pore and vein and nerve God sought fit to bless me with would receive a second blessing. Even though it was summer and the Orleans Motel was filled with warm air, stagnant and unaffected by the lazy ceiling fan, I shivered as if the room were filled with February snow. I cast my eyes downwards toward the brown rug. Philip gargled in the bathroom, humming an old-timey tune. I wondered if he'd let me keep my bra on. It may come as a surprise, but Transfiguration Catholic High School did offer, in its own antiquated way, a highly abridged and modified sex education course called Family. 
Emily was lurid enough to cause girls to titter and giggle in the hallways. Rumors from the older kids of photographs of private parts and pregnant bellies circulated, building up an irrepressible sense of anticipation until Sister Aquilina walked in front of religion class and ordered our heads down in prayer. She then paced the aisles between our desks, which she only did when she wanted to tell us something very bad, as if we were to be punished for its very existence on earth. I see some of you outside of school prancing around in skirts above your knees. That is how a hoyden dresses. Pope Pius VII, in his 1954 encyclical Sacra Virginitas, wrote, and I want you to write this in your notebooks, girls. Holy virginity and that perfect chastity, which is consecrated to the service of God, is without doubt among the most precious treasures which the founder of the church has left inherited. I know you really want me to get it. Sorry. The heritage to the society which he established. Clearly a female must do what she can to keep fornication from her own life and the lives of other Catholics around her, Sister Aquilina told us, as she drew crude male and female stick figures on the chalkboard. Truly, we must remember that the church reveres its virgins above, above those who choose to marry. Those who wed themselves to a heavenly spouse and who remain pure in the eyes of God shall ascend to heaven faster than those who take husbands. There were no pictures of private parts, no bellies, just a poorly explained message, a feeling really that there was something very bad that happened between married people that was still sort of bad after you were married. But you had to do it or else you couldn't have babies. But if you did it before you were married, you were a hellbound sinner and you would get a disease that would prevent you from ever bringing a child into this world, in addition to a lifetime of scorn and eternity in hell. <laughs> At the time, I barely listened because I thought I was headed not towards room five of the Orleans Motel but to the priory of Saint, the Sisters of St. Joseph, where my body would remain untouched and where the Lord would never stop smiling upon me. <laughs> Philip's white shirt came off, revealing his bony, hollow chest. He looked like a broken birdcage, fra fragile and pale. <laughs> no, that's what he looks like. <laughs> Philip... Philip never seemed to eat, eat much, only picking at his steak that very night, but washing down his meal with several glasses of wine. I would try to be a good wife and make him eat more, I thought to myself as he crept ever closer to the edge of the bed. <laughs> I had my dress on, my stockings on, even my shoes on. I felt thankful for my undergarments as they squeezed my middle, keeping me a girl for just a few more moments before my last chance at perfect St. Maria Gerettiness would be stolen from me forever. I had no urge to fight as St. Maria did, but it was a struggle to relax those muscles. I stayed still, not sure what to do next. Not sure if Philip wanted me to take off my stockings and my dress or if it was his job to undo the zipper and unhook my bra. I thought about my best friend Rita and how before she was pinned to Eddie Nado, she had gone to second base with a boy named Ace Widnuski. Ace was a cousin of mine who worked at the Pride gas station on Memorial Drive. Ace was a mechanic and always had oil and dirt under his fingernails, but Rita let him kiss her and reach under her blouse. And in return for those few moments of spin, Ace let her take a free Hershey bar from the store at the gas station. <laughs> Rita issued no more details, but I assumed that the experience invoked at least a small amount of regret, enough so that she'd leave out the mechanics, but remember to mention the candy bar. Philip soon wore nothing but white boxer shorts, loose, barely clinging to his waist. Sensing my unease, he said, if you want to wait, I'll understand. No, no, I just, my hands and body trembled. I had no words. 
It's okay, we can go slow. I understand that you might not like it the first time. I nodded, keeping my arms clasped to my sides. You could remove your stockings if you'd like. Waves of fear washed over me, but I reached down and undid the little metal clasps and rolled my nylons off my legs. And your dress. It's nice for the man to see his wife's body. There's a powerful sense of erotic in the sense of sight. I can help you with those buttons if you'd like. I sat up. I can get it. I undid the buttons and the zipper and shimmied out of the dress, standing up and letting the dress fall to the floor in a cream-colored ring that circled my feet. I stood before him in my brassiere and underpants. Even though it had been my wedding day, it hadn't occurred to me that some brides go out and buy nice underthings. <laughs> my bra was the one I wore daily, the one with stiff elastic straps that dug into my shoulders and gave me a bit of rash around my armpits. A roll of fat rested on top of the elastic waist of my panties. I tried to suck it in, but it didn't really help. <laughs> Shall I dim the lights, Philip asked. Okay. <laughs> Only there were no lights to dim. You had your choice of the stark brightness of a 70-watt bulb or total darkness minus the thin stream of yellowish, yellowish light peeking through the thin white curtains. Is this okay, he asked. The room was pitch black, and I couldn't see Philip's face. <laughs> Stunned by a flash of fright, I hopped off the bed and stood in the corner by the door. <laughs> I heard Philip moving around a bit. Then I heard the springs of the bed creak. Okay, I've removed my shorts. You could also say that from a physiological perspective, I'm ready to go. <laughs> I couldn't move. I waited for further instructions. Carol, I want you to come lie on the bed with me. I'm not pressuring you. If you're not ready, say so. I won't hurt you. And if I'm hurting you, I want you to tell me, okay? I took a deep breath. I remembered what Sister Aquilina had said in family class. Within marriage, this is not sin. Am I going to get pregnant, I asked. No, no, absolutely not. I have protection right here. Have you ever seen a prophylactic? I can turn on the light and show it to you. <laughs> I mean, are you sure it's okay not to get pregnant? I'm not sure. I didn't know what he meant by prophylactic. <laughs> I learned a few days later when I asked Philip about the giant dead worms that had started appearing in our bathroom wastebasket. <laughs> and he explained them to me in painstaking detail. Yes, we're married. It's fine. Please come lay with me on the bed. I want to hold you. I crawled on the bed on all fours and placed my head on the cool, crisp pillow beside Philip. He wrapped a bony arm around my midsection and then ran his finger up and down my back, over my bra strap, and then under it. Do you know the story of the Blessed Virgin? You know, Mary? I asked, my face mashed a little too close to his armpit. I hope to inspire a lively conversation about the Mother of Christ. Do you know why God chose a virgin to bear his only son? Yes, Carol, I do. Shh. <laughs> um, I'm going to unhook this. Sorry if my hands are cold. If you want me to stop, I'll stop. You just have to tell me. He struggled a bit with the hooks on my back, pulling and yanking me around until I felt the cold fear of a loose brassiere. He pulled it down over my arms. My hands instinctively covered my breasts. Philip gently pulled each hand away one by one. With my breasts freed and the tips of my nipples glowing and that tiny sliver of light from the curtains, I had never felt so exposed in my life. I shivered, which Philip took to mean I was cold, so we wrapped a blanket around my shoulders. 
You have lovely breasts, Carol, he whispered. Every bit of you is lovely. Because I was polite, I said, thank you. <laughs> Forgive me if I'm being too forward, but it's been several years since I've been with a woman. I'm very excited, as you can see, or perhaps feel if you move your hand this way. He, <laughs> he guided my hand towards his, you know, man part. The thing I wasn't supposed to talk about, which new in my hand felt like tightly packed sausage. This is what happens when a man is excited. I felt all the blood in my body run cold. It was there, alive, in my hand, hot and electric in a way that I had no idea a body part could be. After a few seconds, I dropped it like a hot pot and wiped my hand on the sheet. <laughs> you know, when my grandmother was alive, she, Philip pressed his lips to mine and rolled himself on top of me. I thought he'd feel heavy against me, but he wasn't. I liked the taste, the taste of his lips and the warmth from his chest against mine. He slipped a finger below the elastic waist of my panties and crept further until I jumped. I'm taking these off. He's eased off my underpants, down my legs, and left them a bit south of my knees. His hands reached deeper down, down where not even I had ever touched. I wished his hands were warmer. Philip said I'd like it better if I relaxed and let me rub and, and let oh and I let him rub me down there. I tried to, I really tried to like it. Do you want me to stop? No. Good, because there comes a point in all of this where stopping is extremely difficult for the man. So after this, I can't stop, okay? <laughs> okay. I clamped my eyes shut. He lifted my hip, hips and pushed my legs as far apart as they go. This part may hurt. And it did. He stabbed me down there, forcing it in until I felt something tear. As Philip's hips came banging towards mine, I bit the bottom of my lip to fight the pain. I thought of my mother coring apples for pie, her wet hands over the sink, gouging out the centers of innocent apples over and over again. The sink would fill with apple cores, lots of them, slender and smooth, with tiny hard seeds clinging to the insides, protected in a web of fibers waiting to be planted in the earth to make new apples. At the end of the process, the knife, the wet hands, the measuring and the rolling and 45 minutes in a hot, uncomfortable oven, there was pie, so sweet and warm and delicious inside that everybody wanted a taste. But apples, remember, were once forbidden fruit, and from their suffering they became sweet. I caught a glimpse of Philip in the light from the window. His intent was horrifying like a locomotive. He roared like a lion in my ear and made some sounds like a bird, high-pitched and squeaky. <laughs> Philip climbed off of me and lay beside me on the bed. My chest ached from the weight of his ribcage. After a few minutes of heavy breathing, he flicked on the light so he could see my face. Was that okay, he said wiping sweat from his forehead with the corner of his pillowcase. I said, yes. What else could I say? I'll make it better for you tomorrow night, I promise. Love making is an adventure, Carol. You need not be afraid. <laughs> Good night. Sleepless in those stiff sheets at the Orleans Motel, I listened to my husband snore. Goodbye, sisters of St. Joseph. Goodbye, St. Maria Goretti. A wife I was and a wife I would forever be, God willing. When the sun came through the curtains, I saw the blood, Philip asleep and slowly breathing, the white room and the clothes strewn on the floor. I saw everything, really.
Monique Davio's first sexual awakening occurred at age 12 during an episode of the TV show The Days and Nights of Molly Dodd. David Stratham's Moss Goodman character forever imprinted upon Mo her lifelong desire for sexy, bookish men in glasses and cardigans. Mo writes novels and performs improv comedy in Austin and is currently looking for a publisher. Read her stuff at moditmo.wordpress.com. That's M-A-U-D-I-T-M-O dot wordpress dot com. Bedpost Confessions is produced by myself, Mia Martina of the I Want Your Sex podcast, Sadie Smythe of the popular blog sadiesopenmarriage.com, Julie Gillis, and Rosie Q. You can find links to all of our websites and more information about Bedpost Confessions at bedpostconfessions.com. You can also confess with us at Bedpost Confessions on Facebook and Bedpost Confess on Twitter. Until next time, we'll leave you with a few other confessions from the audience. Enjoy. I confess, singing karaoke always leads to anal sex. I did not know. (laughs) This one is near and dear to my heart. Um, The best days of my life were when I had two long-haired lovers at once, a vampire and a werewolf. (laughs) Suck it, Bella. (laughs) I confess, after the third round of fucking that night, I thought never this good with my wife. <laughs> <laughs>